I'm your host, Jordan King, and welcome to Radio Never Apart. Welcome to this new feature, which will be available each month as part of magazine Never Apart. Never Apart is a nonprofit organization in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, with the mission of initiating social change and spiritual awareness through cultural programming with global reach and impact. Never Apart hosts an array of events at their home base in the Mile End neighborhood of Montreal from seasonal exhibitions to film screenings, art openings, and lots more. To learn more about Never Apart and what's happening and see the calendar of upcoming events, as well as artists' talks from those who have exhibited previously at Never Apart, check out neverapart.com. The focus of this new monthly podcast series is to highlight individuals and entrepreneurs in creative sectors such as art, fashion, and music, in particular, elevating LGBTQ voices around the world. We hope to celebrate collaboration between artists and creative professionals, uh, look at sustainability initiatives within fashion, art, and music, including vintage curation, the online resale market, uh, and people who are doing both custom design as well as reworking vintage clothing, and also to explore intergenerational conversations which provide insight into the past of artists, creatives, and LGBTQ elders. Now, a little background on myself. I'm a Canadian artist currently residing in New York. I've worked as a makeup artist for the last 15 years in a very broad range of different areas, from commercials to fashion advertising to runway shows, editorial projects. Uh, The list goes on and is still being written. That's my career, and uh, and well, it's a craft that I truly love. For some time, I've had a desire to share the stories of people that I have met in my travels, uh, as well as to learn more about individuals whose work I've come across online by sitting down to chat with them. The guest of this episode is Nora Burns, a New York-based comedian, actress, playwright, and very humble gay nightlife historian. She's a member of the comedy troupe Unitard, which has a residency at Joe's Pub, a cabaret and music venue in the East Village here in New York. I interviewed Nora in studio to talk about the New York she arrived to when she moved here in 1978, her one-woman show, David's Friend, her late-night cable access show, which ran in the early 1990s, and her thoughts on sharing her photo archive on social media. Welcome. Tell me how you arrived in New York. Well, it's funny because actually I was just thinking about it today because I bought this book of photos by this German photographer, and I can't remember his name now, but he was um, he, f- he photographed in New York in 80, 81, 82, and he really photographed like absolutely, I mean, the junkies, the, you know, the p- sex on the piers, the transvestite hookers in the meatpacking district, everything. I mean, so low. And it's, it, and I was just like, oh. So I was thinking about when I moved to New York in 1979, and uh, th- I had three friends from Boston, Richie, Tom, and Jeff, who'd moved here before, and they moved down to the meatpacking district, and they had a, an apartment down there. So literally, I got here. I was going to 
um, Barnard College. I dropped my bag at my dorm room. I said hi to my roommate. I hopped on the subway and got went downtown. I have no idea how I knew where I was going, but I just instinctively always knew where I was going. I just you think pe- people to did, downtown, yeah. and you know, practically moved into this apartment in the meatpacking district back when you know, I mean, it really packed meat. And, um, you know, there were just all the, you know, the hookers were outside. It was just, we didn't know it would ever end. You thought, like, New York would just be this dirty, fabulous, amazing place forever. And in my mind, it still is. Um, But I remember even then at, you know, 17, it was just like, oh, my God, I love it. You've lived in New York essentially ever since then. I know you had a little stint living in Hawaii. Right. But tell me about your life in New York in the in into the eighties then. I was just obsessed with New York from the time I was like fifteen or sixteen. I grew up in Boston. And so I just applied to NYU in Columbia. And if I hadn't gotten in, I was just gonna move here anyway. But um it was easy to get in back then. It was like, you know, standards were low. Probably cheaper um, back then too, and I imagine. Very cheap. So yeah, so I got uh, I um Moved here to go to college, basically, but really I moved here to go to, you know, Studio 54 and Xenon and Mud Club and all the, you know, all the clubs. And because my friend Richie, who um, was this kid, also a 17-year-old who I met in Boston who did drag, he'd moved down here right before. He was the one who lived in the packing district. And so he'd gotten here a couple months before, and he'd immediately... Um, kind of ensconced himself in this world of like um, well all these the trans ton. women at the time that uh, yes. were iconic uh, um, but anyway so that was his world was you know Patasa, Monique, Fedora and and it was all about just every night getting dressed up and going to clubs and you just went you know you went to all you went from horrible like tacky trashy places like New York, New York and Magique to you know Xenon Studio 54 and you just you just sort of like you followed whims like you know a cab door would open or a limo door would open you just kind of got in and you're like oh well okay well just let's go and you never knew where you were going to wind up and nights lasted forever for so long because you could go to uh, 10 different places in a night all in Manhattan which is geographically actually pretty small it wouldn't have taken a long time to get from one place to the other you might have hopped around to different places now I don't think you'd go out in Manhattan for a night like that. I mean, the kids are still amazing and going out and having an incredible time. What you don't have, I think, now is the intergenerational thing. At that time, you know, I was 17, but I didn't think it, there was anything unusual about 60-year-olds being out because why would you stay home? Like, you couldn't stay home. It was so amazing. You're just like, no one stayed home. Whereas now, I'm so glad. Like, I'm like, oh my God, of course I'm staying home because there's nowhere to go. Like, invite me to dinner and that sounds great. You know, but back then it was like, everyone was out because why would you stay home? One of my favorite kinds of nights out now would be a nice seven o'clock Sunday, Lady Bunny DJ oh, yeah. set at the Monster. Yeah. T dance, T dance is yeah. the way to go because staying out past midnight. Right. Yeah, you didn't go out till one back then. Yeah. What kept you busy in the 1980s in New York? So many people did so much more cool stuff in the 80s than I did. I really, other than going to clubs, crashing parties, I just worked. You know, once I sort of barely finished school. I just worked crappy jobs during the day, like I'd work at a gallery or I'd work at a, you know, clothing store. You know, you just waitressing, whatever. You just work really shitty jobs and 
went out at night. My rent was never more than $200, $250. So wow. it was really easy to get by. During the 80s, I look back and I'm like, oh, I wish I'd been, you know, one of those uh, really cool people who was doing stuff at Pyramid or I would do little, like, I do plays. I was more actressy back then. Yeah. And those were like cliques. I mean, you would get the cold shoulder at some of these yeah. doors. And even if they were really crappy places, people were mean back then. Like the 80s were, <laughs> everyone was mean. And also people were dying. So it was like a very weird, it became a very weird time. I look back and I'm like, I wish I'd been at people's sides a lot more than I was. We were all very young and you were very overwhelmed. And um, you just, you were so, like, you knew someone in the obituaries every single day. And we were, we, I was th on the young side. I mean, the older people, you know, one of my best friends is 10 years older than me. And literally everyone he knew died. Like, everyone. Young people nowadays just can't really fathom what that really was and, like. And the, the thing the other day I was saying to a friend was, it also, it wasn't like a war, like all of a sudden you died, like you had this life and then you died. Like you had, you know, imagine you have all these hopes and dreams. You're a fashion designer, artist, and you're trying to work on your career. And all of a sudden you have this disease that you know is going to kill you. So even though it may be five years till you die, you can't really be dreaming of what your life is going to be like for the next 40, 50 years, you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to be here in five or 10. For some people, it, it was quick. And for some people, it was a bit longer. And there are people who have survived Absolutely. due to the medications that they were provided with. Um, but I mean, such a just unimaginable number of creative people yeah. are gone that, that passed away during that time. And you have a one-woman show that you've written and performed, David's Friend, which I saw this past year and was just brought to like you know <laughs> tears oh, watching it's so beautiful uh and i think from my lens one of the things that i was so inspired by is that you do still provide some hope in there mm -hmm. even though it's an incredibly difficult story no one wants to come see a you know a show about like my friend died of AIDS. um so you know it 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 has to be funny and it has to be real and it's also a love story to New York and you know to friendship and to being young and he does all those things so beautifully so tell me how David's friend came about um, well my uh, my best friend was this guy named David who I met when I was 17 I was dancing on the speaker of a gay bar in Boston and he came up and started dancing with me and we were both 17 and um, I was moving to New York and he was still he was going to be going to school in Boston the next year but you know he would was coming down to visit me all the time and then he moved down to New York as soon as he was done his first year of school and uh, anyway so we were you know we were like inseparable um, for years and then we'd come and go he'd move to LA we do kind of do our own thing and around the late 80s he started getting sick and he died in 1993 and even though I was you know devastated when he died it oh god <laughs> always affects me what I'm talking about. But um, it wasn't until about five years ago, I, his birthday is December 6th, and I was like, I found a picture of him on December 6th. I decided just to post it on Facebook. Like, oh, you know, here, I remember. And all of a sudden, it just brought this rush of emotion that I think I'd just been like damping down for all that time. And you know, just the realization of like, oh my God, this person's out of my life. They didn't get to see 
anything about, they didn't get to see me become a performer, a mother, uh, you know, a grown-up. So I was like, okay, what can I do as a tribute? And so I just started developing the show, and it just, you know, each time I do it, I'd think, oh, you know, I do have a lot of pictures of us and stuff. Uh, it was like, oh, it'll just be this one-time thing, but that it sort of started turning into a show all on its own. It's such a powerful, beautiful piece. I mean, one of the things I love, too, is the music. Uh, and that you've, was so important. Yeah, yeah, and you've got such phenomenal taste in music. <laughs> you must know that. And the music, it just, I mean, it transports you back there. Uh, and it's just, it's beautifully staged. And it's, you know, it's simple, but it's just, um, it's like an incredible tribute. Also, you know, just like it, what I do with my Instagram is like, I'm like, okay, if I can sort of just keep this one person alive, like how else do you stay alive but in, you know, your memories of other people's memories of you, so. And you're so active on Instagram. Well, I never was going to do Instagram, and my kids did Instagram. I was like, oh, I'm not going to do Instagram. But I was writing an article about some designer, and she was only on Instagram. So they were like, you have to join Instagram. So I was like, oh, all right. And it was right while I was doing David's Friends. So I was like, okay, you know what? I'm kind of going to make it about David. If I have to have an Instagram, it'll be kind of about him. And then, you know, it's kind of veers off occasionally into other, you know, friends from the time. Or But I keep it keep it old. And so. people have commented, I've seen this on your Instagram. I've seen people write this saying, where is the book? When's the book coming? What do you think of it? To me, I don't really feel like there's a book. I feel like there's so many other people who are so much more like fabulous and have amazing stories. And I actually do a series at Stonewall called New York Stories, where I have people come and tell stories. And you know, there really are so many people were so much more fabulous than me. I'm just still alive. You're incredibly fabulous, and you have lived such a phenomenal life. And I just love in David's friend. I mean, you're really generous in terms of sharing <laughs> what some of those experiences were like. And uh, and then you know, yeah, the New York stories is sort of providing you know a stage and a space for people to to share their stories about their lives in New York. There's no place else feels like New York, yeah. and I just you know if I go to Philadelphia I'm like well it's cute but it's not you know my ghosts and memories are here yeah. and I walk down every street and I can be like oh my god so and so lived there I'm here and like right down the street is where I used to do my show on Gay Cable Network with Lou Maletta, the old leather queen who had sex parties in the studio after hours and again it's that's something nice about having children is like you don't you know, you can't be just obsessed with the past. You have to think about the present, think about the future. And, you know, there are those people who are just like, New York never, never been the same. Ah, it's only New York. Old New York is good. It's like, no, you know, new New York is good too. And I love riding my bike up and down that West Side Highway. And, you know, there are, yes, of course, it sucks to see, you know, no Italians in Little Italy and, you know, all the cool old mom and pop shops down. But what can you do? when I saw your production of David's Friend and, and also from even the skit that you do in Unitard about... Oh, the retro retouch. The retro retouch <laughs> about what life was like in New York because there was that whole other side to it too. But, you know, essentially this is this notion that like we have today and we have tomorrow and the future hasn't written yet, but we right. can't go back in time and we can be inspired by it and right. obviously reflect on it and want to share about it. But Right. Um, like sometimes my daughter will be like, oh, it was so much better back then. I'm like, no, no, no. You're, you know, yeah, <laughs> please don't, don't be 18 <laughs> and like, you know, <laughs> but I remember yeah. feeling that way too because when I first moved to like the big city at 18 and I found out about all these parties that had been going on you know two three years ago and all the 
you know, queens that had been performing and doing nights and fashion shows that had like just happened. Like I just missed them. Right. And I was like, oh, it was so much cooler, like two right. years well, ago. Well, I got here and I was like, oh, CBGB's is over. You know, I mean, yeah. so it's like you've always missed something. Everyone's but, always missed something. And then fast forward two years from there where you take initiative and maybe you're kind of galvanized from that and you say to yourself well I got to create something new and I got to put on a show or I've got to right. start do to do podcast. some writing or yeah. do a podcast <laughs> or do something that doesn't exist yet and then that energy starts to kind of transfer forward so I'm I would say I'm inspired by by you having right. done that um I want to hear more about your cable access show as well because there's clips of it on Instagram it's so cringy to look at I you know I th I did it in like from 90 to 94 I guess and um, it was at Gay Can Cable Network because I was friends with Lou Maletta, the old leather queen who ran it. And, um, and it was such a funny combination of uh, stuff they did there. They did this show, which is still going, called Gay USA, which was kind of a gay news show. But then they also did, you know, gay porn. And um, so the gay porn paid for the studio, of course, but, and then the sex parties. And Lou, I, I just... I love Lou to death. He died of cancer about 10 years ago. Um, he wore his buttless chaps and leather vest and hat everywhere. If he was going to a city hall meeting, he, w that's, he was in his chaps. That was, that was Lou. But he also carried his camera, and he was the first one to record the early gay pride marches, the first act up marches. I mean, he was in the 60s and 70s. He was out there with his camera. So he really had this amazing archive. And um, so we were friends, and I was like, oh, you know, I want to do a wacky cable show with, like, drag queens and go-go boys and skits and performers. He was like, sure, okay, yeah. Um, so I did it for a few years. And then I kind of, you know, again, like everything back then, I forgot about it. And you had some amazing guests. Who did you have on the show? Oh, like RuPaul, Marc Jacobs, um, Bunny, you know, drag queens of the time, some performers. And I always did it in like a weird character and a costume and oh my God. I'd sometimes see a, an act out at the clubs and then ask them if they wanted to come in and record. It wouldn't have the energy of being in a club, but it, at least you could hear it and see it. I ran into someone who used to work there and they were like, oh, you know, when Lou died, NYU got the archives. And I was like, oh, well, they wouldn't have my show. And they gave me the email, I emailed and they actually had my show too. So I digitized it so that's why I still have them but I've got to say watching them it's really cringy I'm like oh like 90% of it is unwatchable well then maybe in that case Instagram is a perfect format it, for it because to have quiet, a little clip little tiny clip well and if it's a little yeah. tiny clip of it then it's yeah. you know I mean it's it's entertaining and it definitely makes you kind of I don't right. know it's, it's still a representation of that period of right. time and Len Whitney who would do the videos for Boy Bar he would do a video for every show of mine and there are these wonderful videos with combinations of like old movies vintage porn which I can't I unfortunately can't show most of those on Instagram but um but they're really fun fun little videos and so those are in the archive at NYU yeah did you digitize them or did NYU digitize NYU them for you? NYU digitized them. Okay. Me. Yeah. And was it weird sort of know that this part of your history was then out there in a way that you didn't have any control over? They won't give it to anyone but me. So. Oh, really? I mean, I, if you go in, I don't know, if you go into the fails library, maybe you can you can sit there and watch it. But they only gave me access. At first, they weren't going to because it belonged to Gay Cable Network. But then they were like, oh, yeah, it's your show. You can have it. The whole process of accessing an archive 
and they make it so that you do have to put in a little bit of legwork in order to right. access it. So you can't just sort of like stumble across it necessarily. But um, but I do think it's interesting that there's these pockets of queer history that are being held in these places, you know, without the person who created its um, desire, maybe. I think they, you know, if, if it was once on cable access TV, you're like, why shouldn't people see it? But there are amazing, like... Um, the entire Andy Warhol's, all his photographs are Stanford are at Stanford University. So you can literally just go to Stanford University Andy Warhol photographs and see all of his contact sheets. And so there really are like amazing, there's amazing stuff out there. Totally. And the archive I accessed was at Harvard and I took the trip to Boston uh, because it's the, the archive of a performer who was active in Los Angeles in the 1960s. And for some reason, Harvard has this whole I archive think of her. Harvard just got Joey Arias's. Yeah, I think yeah. You told me that yeah, as well. And uh, I mean, it's it is quite incredible. There's something that I find quite profound about going and kind of being in that space with that person and with all of these things. I mean, you sort of go and sit at a table and you just kind of process it in that way. I mean, it's very different than I think how it was meant to be originally viewed or consumed if it was posters or on gay cable access network yeah. probably at like one o'clock in the morning i mean it's yeah. maybe not what you would have imagined some nyu student doing a dissertation on queer theory but oh i know i had some woman from michigan just call me and she's doing her thesis on queer cable access from the 90s you're keeping a, an incredible amount of the creative spirit alive in new york thank you for stopping by Nora. sure thank you jordan and love you I hope you've enjoyed my conversation with Nora. She is really a tried and true New Yorker and I am so thankful to her for taking some time to sit down and chat with me. And I also wanna thank you, listener, for sharing some time with me. This is a new venture. We would love to hear your feedback and welcome suggestions for future features and interviews. Please reach out with the word podcast in the subject line to info at neverapart.com with any feedback that you have. We absolutely welcome it. Until next month, this is your host, Jordan King, signing off.